When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. <laughs> Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Hauser, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. For the first time in what felt like forever, I went to a concert last week. It was a show by one of my favorite artists, an Italian cantautori, which translates to singer-songwriter. He's a man who masters the keyboard of harmonies and poetry like no one else. And my heart danced with anticipation as I entered the red brick building, an old factory that now holds many rooms and halls for cultural events. Posters of events long past peeled off the concrete walls of the corridor that my sweetheart and I walked down to reach our venue. Before the concert began, I nipped to the bathroom to refill my water bottle. As I dried my hands on a scratchy paper towel, I studied the wall, scribbled with greetings, taglines, plastered stickers that covered the wall from the ceiling almost all the way down to the floor. And down there, almost on the floor, I noticed something that looked foreign, symbols that looked like a spell emanating an air of magic despite the less than enchanting surroundings. Well, I tossed the towels in the bin and headed back to the concert hall. Ah, the doors were already closed and from the muffled sounds that emanated from within I gathered that the concert had already begun. I opened the door to slip in and then stopped dead in my tracks. The room was filled with a crowd like before. There was a stage with a show going on, but it was definitely not the one I had left behind. The stories in this episode are all about Jack. Jack, the well-known figure who weasels, steals, jokes and fools his way through countless tales. The first teller is a storyteller who I had the pleasure to meet two years ago at the Glens of Antrim Storytelling Festival in Northern Ireland. Laura Deal, hailing all the way from Colorado. Laura is a storyteller, writer, dream reader and teacher with a wide variety of artistic and social interests. She has been the new voice at Stone Soup Storytelling Festival, performed at the Boulder Fringe Storytelling Festival and over the last few months she was part of quite a few online festivals, such as the Women's Storytelling Festival. And now, please enjoy Laura Deal telling the story of One-Eyed Jack. Once, there was a fella named Jack. Now I know you've heard stories about Jack, but what those stories don't tell you is that Jack had only one eye. That's right. When he was born, his right eye looked out bright blue into the world, but on the other side, where his eye should have been, there was just a small hollow and a little flap of skin. 
And Jack's mama, she worried about Jack, how he'd get on in the world looking so different from everybody else. But being Jack's mama, she just loved him extra for all that. And it was Jack's mama that first noticed there was something a little uncanny about Jack. He was still just a little boy, and he looked up at her one day and said, Mama, Widow Wilson has some extra eggs, and she's grateful for that pie you gave her last week. And Mama just looked at him, and then a moment later, there was Widow Wilson standing at the door with a basket of eggs. I I sure am grateful for that pie you gave me last week. Or another time, Mama, neighbor George needs to borrow some firewood, but it's okay, he'll pay us back tomorrow. And then, sure enough, there was George. Oh, could I borrow some firewood? I'll bring you more tomorrow. Or the time that Mama was looking for her scissors, and she'd been looking everywhere. Couldn't find them in her sewing basket. They weren't by her loom. And Jack, he'd been outside playing all day, but he came in carrying her scissors, said, Mama, you can stop looking. You left them by the mint plant. Well, Mama, she sat Jack down. She said, Jack, you might not want to tell everybody about what you can do. He said, Why, Mama? Does it scare him? Well, yeah, Jack, it might scare him. Well, Mama, I got my blue eye that looks on the world just like yours, and then I got this one that scares people. We'll call it my boo eye. And Mama, my boo eye's got rules of its own. So Mama knew there wasn't anything she'd be able to do about Jack. And it wasn't too long after that that Widow Wilson was there having a cup of tea, and Jack, he was doing his numbers and letters on a slate at the table. And all of a sudden, he looked up and he said, Neighbor George's cows got out of his pasture. we got to go help. Well, you couldn't see George's house or his pasture from where they were sitting, but when they went up and went to the door, sure enough, here came George running toward him. Oh, my cows got out. Come and help me, please. Well, now, Widow Wilson, she didn't say anything, not for a while. She liked Jack, and she liked Jack's mama. Oh, but a secret like that, that's too good to keep. And it wasn't long before everyone in the village knew that if you brought Jack a few copper coins or a loaf of bread, why, he'd take a look with his boo-eye, and he could tell you where that thing you'd lost might be found or what the weather might be like in a few days' time if you were thinking of planting something or whether this young couple'd be happy if they got married. And by the time Jack was nearly grown, word had spread to the nearby town. And one day, Jack, he was in that town, and, well, people would come up to him and ask him things. And he was talking to a woman just there on the street when a fellow rode by, a finely dressed fellow on a fine horse, And that man, he looked at Jack, and Jack looked back at him. And the woman that he was talking to told Jack, You stay away from him. That's Mr. Clay. He's the kind of person who likes to 
trick people out of their money and cheat people out of their land. He's no good, Jack. And Jack listened, and he knew. And sure enough, the next day, that man showed up at Jack's door. Mr. Clay standing there, dressed in fine clothes, and Jack took a look at Mr. Clay with his blue eye, and he took a look at Mr. Clay's heart with his boo eye. And he didn't much like what he saw either place, but you know the boo eyes got rules of its own, so he invited Mr. Clay inside. And Mr. Clay, he put a big bag of gold there on the table, and he said, Jack, I hear you're the man to ask. I want to know how I can invest that gold. Why, I'd like to increase its value. I'd, What I'd really like is I'd like it to be worth more than all my land. And Jack took a look at Mr. Clay. He said, what will you give me if I take a look for you? And Mr. Clay produced a silver coin from his pocket and he held it out to Jack. Now, it's true that in all the years Jack had been taking a look for people, no one had ever offered him that much money. But a silver coin from Mr. Clay, that was an insult intended and taken. And Jack, he took it. And he took a look, and he began to smile. He said, Mr. Clay, I have seen what you can do. Now, I can't guarantee you're going to like all the details of how this works out, but you know on your land there, their daddy's land, there's that hawthorn tree. Mr. Clay said, oh yeah, my daddy, he was superstitious. He said that was a fairy tree, but I've been thinking about clearing that land. That's good land up there going to waste. Oh, no, Mr. Clay, you'd be wise to listen to what your daddy says because there is magic in that tree. And if, if you dig down in the roots of that tree and you bury that bag of gold there, why, in the morning, you'll have your wish. If you're fooling with me, boy, I know you're kind. You just want to go out there and steal that gold tonight. Well, Mr. Clay, you can always sit vigil, can't you? So Mr. Clay, he took that bag of gold home, and he got himself a nice, sharp shovel. He got a blanket and some food for his supper, and he went out to that hawthorn tree. And no one had touched that tree in so long that he had to break some of the branches to get into where he thought he ought to bury that gold. And when he dug down there, why, that shovel, it cut right through some of the tender rootlings of that tree. He buried that bag of gold there, and then he wrapped himself in his blanket. He sat down right upon that place where he had buried it. He ate his supper, and as night fell, he fell asleep. And when he next woke, oh, the air was pressing heavy on him. And before he could understand what was happening, boom, lightning struck his house half a mile away, and then Boom! Lightning struck his barn. He didn't even have time to sit up when boom! Lightning struck that hawthorn tree, and it electrocuted Mr. Clay right where he lay. 
and that lightning strike was so hot that fire burned down the outside of that tree and into the grasses and grains of the land all around, and it burned right until it got to the very boundaries of the land that Mr. Clay had stolen from his neighbors, and then the rains came and put that fire out. And it's true. In the morning, you could have bought that land Seventy times over for the gold in that bag. There wasn't anybody wanted to go out on that cursed landscape. Jack didn't want to either, but the Boo Eyes got rules of its own. He waited three days, and then he made his way across that charred land. He found the sad remains of Mr. Clay and the melted head of Mr. Clay's shovel. And with a prayer of apology to the fair folk, and a prayer to his mama's God, and a prayer to his boo-eye, Jack took that shovel head and, well, he dug down there and pulled out that bag of gold. He took one gold coin out, put it back in that hole, and buried it up again in tribute and apology. And then he took the rest of that gold with him. Because, you see, when Jack had seen what would happen to Mr. Clay, he had also seen all the people that Mr. Clay had tricked and cheated and stolen from. And so Jack took that bag of gold, and he went to Mr. Clay's town. He went house to house, one gold coin here, three gold coins there, paying people back for what they'd lost. And when there were six gold coins left in that bag, there was only one person still left to go see. She was a rich widow. She'd been well able to afford the loss of those coins, and she'd heard rumors about what Jack was up to. She invited him in for a cup of tea, and she asked for the story from his own lips. And when Jack finished telling her, she said, Jack, that was a hard thing you did. I want you to keep those six coins and, well, get something nice for you and your mama. So Jack thanked her kindly, and he took those coins home, and, well, they lasted him and his mama a very long time as they tended to replenish in the bag if they weren't spent too quickly. And after that, Jack never again asked for a copper coin or a loaf of bread to take a look with his boo-eye. No, he would only ask for a story. And if that person had time, Jack would tell a story of his own. Usually this one I've just told you. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Mrs. Holly's Bedding and More. Good news for all sleepyheads and sleeping beauties. The comfort we know and love from Mrs. Holly's homey holiday house is now available for sale. Bring the charm of country living into your city loft, fancy castle, woodland burrow or any lodging you like. Drift off to dreamland on a cloud of fragrant dried herbs which will clear the heaviest of minds. Rest your head on the downy softness of Mrs. Holly's premium pillows, all including one enchanted golden feather to ward off bad dreams. 
Her soft comforters and heavy blankets will keep you warm all winter. For a small extra charge, you can get built-in auto-regulation of temperature, so they will feel just right in all the seasons. And now hold on to your nightcaps, because we have even more exciting news to share. This coming spring, Mrs. Holly is launching her first collection of bed linen. Made from organic silk cotton grown in the enchanted forest and designed by Mrs. Holly herself, you can now get the comfort and style of her homey holiday house all for your sleepy self. There will be delightful sets for all creatures of creation with matching throws, quilts and cushions. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first in the know about special deals and unique offers. Mrs. Holly's Bedding and More Rest assured and in style. This episode is also brought to you by our wonderful patrons. This time, our special patrons are a family of four. Valeria and Seth with their children Lorenzo and Domenico. And their dog Rosie. Valeria sent us the loveliest message and even shared their favorite stories. And not only are they generous patrons of the arts, they also have a magical ability. Valeria and Seth can turn any noise, such as traffic or construction, into birdsong simply by holding hands. Their son Lorenzo can turn snow into any ice cream flavor he wants. And his little brother Domenico, well, he can brighten people's days simply by being himself. Isn't that a magical ability we should all like to have? And their dog Rosie has a magical ability too. She can see the fairy folk and will bark whenever one of them is up to mischief. Though I hear that sometimes she likes a bit of mischief herself and might even help them. Would you like to find out what your personal magical ability is? You can, for as little as the cost of one cup of coffee per month. With that, you can help us continue sharing the magic of storytelling with the world. And, as I said, you'll learn what your special power is, which is pretty cool. If you sign up now, you'll get a postcard featuring one of the delightful fairy tale sponsor images and a lovely message from Rachel Ann just before the holidays. Become a member of the Patreon team by going to patreon.com forward slash storystorypodcast or storystorypodcast.com. A glimmering thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. You are the twinkle of magic on our grey November days. The music that filled the room can only be described as sounds from space or the bottom of the sea. The crowd was swaying as if gently rocked by the spherical music or perhaps by the light that flowed from greens to blues to purples and gold. I could not make out the source of the sound. Perhaps it came from the large, tentacled creature on stage, towering over the crowd. I gasped, and the creature next to me turned one of its heads in my directions, and all of its three eyes sleepily took me in with confusion, as if I had wakened it from a dream. I slammed the door shut, shook my head to shake off the strange vision I had just seen. Surely I had just imagined things. 
Or perhaps I had mistaken this door for the one leading to my singer-songwriter concert. I traced my steps back through the hallway, but no, I was definitely in the right place. Taking a deep breath, I opened the door again and once again encountered a concert that was not the one I had bought a ticket for. This time, enchanting music filled the room, strings and twinkling instruments, and a group of dancers put on a magical performance on stage. At first, they looked human. However, when I looked more closely, I noticed that their feet floated a few inches above the ground as they twirled around the stage. Making out this detail, I realized that I, being taller than the average person, had to crane my neck to properly see the dancers. The audience was even taller than I was, and clad in gowns that seemed to have a life of their own. Gossamer capes that swirled as if stirred by a gentle breeze, dresses that flowed like water, embellished hems twinkling like the midnight sky. They were an ethereal sight to behold, but not the crowd I was trying to get back to. Gently I closed the door, not knowing what to do but to return to the bathroom to splash my face with cold water. As I dried my hands on the scratchy paper towel once more, my gaze fell upon the enigmatic scribbles near the floor. Had they changed? I wondered as I tossed the crumpled towels in the bin once again, stealing myself for another opening of that concert hall door that might lead me to even more alternate dimensions. However, when I took a deep breath and opened the door, the first thing I saw was the back of my sweetheart's head gently nodding to the rhythm of the music. Our concert had indeed started as well. As I took my spot next to him, I quietly slipped my hand into his and closed my eyes. The songs of my favorite cantautori carried me to the south of Italy, enveloping me in the scent of peaches, lemons and oranges. It was quite magical. But just as magical as the two shows I stumbled upon by mischief of the universe, I am not quite sure. The second teller for this episode is Tim Lowry. Tim is on the road a lot and performs in a wide variety of settings, schools, libraries, storytelling festivals and many more. He says that a well-told story is the pure cane sugar in the sweet tea of life. And today he shares with us the tale of Soldier Jack. Well... Jack, he'd been off to the war, and he come home with both his arms and both his legs, and he's thankful for that much. There's some fellers come home with a pant leg a-floppin' or shirt sleeve pinned up. Jack, he come home all in one piece, and he's glad for that. But times was real hard, and Jack, he needed him a job of work. So as he's walking down the road, when he'd come by a place, he'd go up to folks' doors and knock and ask for work. He'd tell them, he'd say, I can plow with you mules, I can paint your house, I could be a farm hand, help you out some, you just pay me a little bit, but they'd always say the same thing. Oh, we ain't got no money, not since the war. We all poor, we ain't got no money. You have to go on. Jack got so desperate for work, he started offering to do women's work. He'd say, I'd take care of your little babes and cook food, wash dishes, anything if you could pay me a little bit. And the women, they'd say the same thing. They'd say, we ain't got no money, you just have to go on away from here. 
Jack didn't know what he's going to do. Well, while he's walking down the road one day, he found a sack of laying there. Well, you never know when you're going to need a good sack. So Jack picked it up and shook the dirt off of it and stuck it down in his britches pocket and went on his way. That sack must have had some luck in it that Jack couldn't see because he come around the bend in the road there and up on the hill there's this big old fine brick mansion house. It had white columns along the front, big old oak door with fancy cut glass in it. Ooh, them folks is rich. They'd give Jack a job of work. He run up there and he grabbed hold of the big brass door knocker and he banged on the door. And you could hear echoes all through that place. There wasn't nobody a-living there. Jack figured they must have got killed in the war. He turned around, started off back down the road, and he met this feller coming the opposite way. And when that feller got up next to Jack, Jack asked him about that big house up on the hill. And that feller, he said, Oh, Jack, he said, you ain't from around these parts. You don't know. He said, that house belongs to my family. My great-great-granddaddy built that house way back when George Washington was president. And then when he died, he gave it to my great-granddaddy. When my great-granddaddy died, he gave it to my granddaddy. When my granddaddy died, he gave it to my daddy. When my daddy died, he gave it to me. Jack said, well, if that's such a good place to live and all your family lived up there, how come you ain't a-staying in it? And that feller, he narrowed his eyes down. He said, well, Jack, I'm going to tell you. On account it's hainted. Hainted? What do you mean hainted? He said, you know, boogers and witches and stuff. He said, oh, you ain't a scared of things like that. He said, oh, yeah, Jack, I ain't never been off to a war, seen the kind of things you've seen. They something awful up in that house. People try to spend the night up in that place, and they come a-running out, tearing their hair out, and a-screaming and a-hollering and carrying on. It's something terrible. Jack said, well, I, I hate that for you. He started off down the road, that feller watched him go. Jack was a-walking on two legs and a-swinging his two arms. That feller knew anybody come home from the war with all his arms and legs, come home in one piece, he's a brave feller. He called out after him. He said, Jack, I ain't got money to pay you, but them hanks in that house, they trouble me so bad. If you get rid of them hanks, I'd give you the house to live in. Well, Jack knew you needed more than a house for fine living, so he just kept on a-walking. That feller give him a better offer. He said, Jack, if you get rid of them hanks in that house, I give you the house to live in, and I give you all the farm that goes with it. It's a good farm. You grow all kind of things. Well, Jack knew the price of cotton was going to fall. They wasn't going to be no money in farming for who know how long. He kept on walking. Finally, that feller didn't want Jack to get away. He hollered out after him with an offer Jack couldn't refuse. He said, Jack. If you get rid of them haints in that house, I give you the house, I give you all the farmland that goes with it, and I give you my oldest girl to marry. Jack said, deal. He figured if he had him a pretty woman, he'd be set for life. So him and that feller, they spit and shook on it. Jack was going to get rid of all the haints in that house. That feller gave him a key, and Jack collected everything he needed to spend the night. He went up to that place and stuck a key in a lock and turned it round, and when he pushed the door open on creaky hinges, he looked in on a fine place. Oh, there's all kind of furniture covered over in dust ruffle. And this wasn't no handmade stuff. Uh-uh, these was all store-bought things that come from France on the train. And way down at the end of the hall in the great room, there's a big old stone fireplace. Jack went down there, and he lay some sticks up in the fireplace. And just for his to touch some lucifers to them sticks, there's a big voice come down the chimney and said, Jack, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Jack said, well, 
be glad you ain't me. He blew that match out, caught that fire burning good. Then he laid a frying pan up on that fire, and he put a slab of bacon in there. He's going to fry it up for his supper. Just about time that bacon was crisping up good. Big voice come down the chimney again, said, Jack, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Jack put some of that bacon in his mouth, and he said, well, be glad you ain't me. He went right on eat up that bacon. Then it's time to go to sleep. Jack didn't want to leave that fire burning unattended, so instead of going upstairs, he just got that old sack he had found out of his pocket, stretched it out there on the floor, and he lay down on that sack. And just before he drifted off to sleep, he heard that voice again. Jack, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Jack yawned big. He said, well, be glad you ain't me. Jack went off to sleep. Jack wasn't afraid of nothing. Not on the top of God's green earth or underneath it, neither. In the middle of the night, something tried to get in that place. Jack heard something scratching up the bricks on the side of that house like old lizard might climb up a rock wall. He heard something throw a leg across a copper guttering and shinny right up to the shingles to the top of that roof and something went a-skittering across a ridge pole and something climbed up the chimney bricks and something was a-climbing down through the chimney flue. The smoke couldn't rise, and all that smoke turned and started boiling back out the mouth of that fireplace and filling that room up with black oily smoke, and something cut loose and come a-falling down through the chimney flume. Bam! Big red devil fell out in the fire, and Jack said, Woo, Lord, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He snatched up that sack, and he said, Wickety-whack, into my sack. That old devil went, shoom, right down in that sack, and Jack cinched the top of that sack up and held on. Now, most folks who'd seen a devil fall out the chimney, they gonna run. But not Jack, uh-uh. He heard three voices, so he knowed there's two more big boogers up in there somewhere. He sat real still, and a little while, right before the cock crowed, right before the dawn broke, bam, bam, two little devils fell out in the fire. Ooh, Lord, they's uglier than that first one. He said, wickety-whack, into my sack. Both them devils went, shoom, right down that sack, and Jack cinched the top of that sack up, and all of a sudden, the dawn broke, and the cock started to crow, and Jack knowed he'd got all the haints out of that house. He run out in the yard, and he shook that sack up, and them old devils was a-horning and hoofing each other and cussing and carrying on. Jack drug that sack down to blacksmith shop, and he told them boys, he said, get your hammers and start a-beating on this sack, and don't stop till I tell you to quit. They grabbed up hammers, they went to flailing on that sack, and the blood and the fat and the fur and the feathers was flying every which way. And when they emptied out the sack, they wasn't nothing left but a pile of ashes. So Jack, he got rid of all the haints in that house. And that feller, he kept his word. He give Jack the house to live in, all the farmland to have for his own. And Jack and that pretty girl, they got married, and they had all kind of youngins, and Jack, he lived good after that. But then... That girl he married took sick. Oh, she looked a sight. She's all pale. Her lips was blue where she couldn't draw a good breath. Her young'uns is all gathered round the bed a-crying because their mama was about to die. Jack come in the sick room. He had an old sack. He stretched out on the foot of the bed, and he said, Wickety-whack, into my sack. All them young'uns looked around. They didn't see anything stir, but... Jack just took that sack, tied a cord around the top of it, walked out of the room, whistling a happy tune. He seemed glad about whatever he'd done. Jack had caught death up in that sack. He caught old death up in that sack, and after that, that girl of his and got better. By, by morning, she felt so good, she got up and cooked breakfast for all them young'uns. Jack took death in that sack out to the side of the house and flung it up in a big old tree. 
used to walk past Jack's place at night. You could see that sack a-hanging from a tree limb, and you could hear death inside moaning and a-groaning, trying to get loose. Jack never would let it go. After that, they wasn't nobody around Jack's place got sick, had no trouble, everybody lived good. And then a long time after that, Jack was out in front of his place, and he is looking down the hill on the road where he'd walked along when he was a soldier coming home from the war. And there's this old granny a hobbling along. She is a wobbling along on two canes, had her head all tied up in a rag. Her eyes is a rolling around in her skull. Oh, she looked a sight. Jack said, Granny, what's wrong with you? And she said, Well, Jack, I'm 147 year old. Lord of mercy, Granny, how'd you get to be so old? She said, Well, they tell me some fool around here got death tied up in a sack. I can't die. It ain't natural to live this long. Jack felt sorry for that old granny woman. He knowed what he had to do. He climbed up in that big old tree, and he got that sack of loose. When he got back down the ground, he ripped it open. You could hear a big moaning sigh as death flew up in the air. And when death settled down over the ground, all them old people started dropping. That old woman just fell out in the road right there where she was. And Jack, he fell out right next to her. Oh, yeah, Jack, he'd been living about 85 years or so. It's time for him to pass on. Now Jack ain't got that big house. He ain't got that pretty girl. Ain't got no money. All we got about Jack's them stories we tell and I reckon that'll be the end of them, too. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Laura Deal at lauradeal.com and Tim Lowry at storytellertimlowry.com. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. We are still in strange times for performing artists, but the opportunities to connect with the magic of live storytelling are abundant. Go find your favorite tellers from the podcast and discover what they can bring to your home. Did you know that you can connect with the podcast and see the fairy tale sponsor ads on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast? You can also connect with me at isabelhauser.com. While you're there, let us know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you will hear them here soon. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was truly a concert I attended in an old factory building made from red bricks a few days ago. The music is by Poddington Bear. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. And Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this 
day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.